discovered the limit of how long my tablet will stay open here. Our um, scripture reading this morning is Isaiah 64, verse 8. Isaiah 64, verse 8. I'm reading from the International Standard Version. But as for you, O Lord, you are our father, and we are clay, and you are our potter. We are all the work of your hands. We ask the Lord's blessing on the reading of his word, and that he will be with Doug as he brings us our message today. Welcome, Doug and Julie. Thank you. was battered and scarred, and the auctioneer thought it hardly worth his while to waste his time on the old violin, but he held it up with a smile. What am I big, good people, he cried. Who starts the bidding for me? One dollar, one dollar, do I hear two, two dollars? Who makes it three? Three dollars once, three dollars twice, going for three. But no. From the room far back, a gray-bearded man came forward and picked up the bow. Then wiping the dust from the old violin and tightening up the strings, he played a melody pure and sweet, as sweet as the angel sings. The music ceased in the auctioneer with a voice that was quiet and low. said, what now my bid for this old violin? as he held it aloft with his bow. One thousand, one thousand, do I hear two? Two thousand, who makes it three? Three thousand once, three thousand twice. Going and gone, said he. The audience cheered, but some of them cried. We just don't understand. What changed its worth? Swift came the reply. The touch of the master's hand. And many a man with life out of tune, all battered and bruised with hardship, is auctioned cheap to a thoughtless crowd, much like that old violin. A mess of pot, a glass of wine, a game, and he travels on. He's going once, he's going twice, he's going and almost gone. But the master comes, and the foolish crowd never can quite understand the worth of a soul and the change that is wrought by the touch of the master's hand. Happy Sabbath. Good morning. Would you... Um, would you join me in prayer, please? Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we first of all, we come before you and we thank you for this Sabbath day, Lord. We thank you that you love us so much that you carved this time out of our week, Lord, to come together in your house as your children to worship you. Father, we pray that our worship service 
brings glory to your name. We pray that the message that's preached today is your message, that these are your words, Lord, and that you are glorified. I simply want to be a mouthpiece, Lord. I just want to be a tool used by you in your tool belt, Lord. May you receive all the glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. That poem was written in 1921. Many of you probably are familiar with it. It was written by a woman named Myra Brooks Welch. So what does it mean to be touched by the Master's hand? In our scripture reading, I'm going to reread our scripture reading. It says, But now, O Lord, thou art our father, we are the clay, and thou art potter, and we are the work in thy hand. Now, I've never done pottery myself. Maybe some of you folks have. But I've seen it done, at least on TV. But picture a potter's shop. A wheel turning, a lump of clay... And the potter is in control, right? Does that lump of clay know what the potter's going to do with it? Do we know what God's going to do with us? Not always, do we? Now, my understanding is that the potter, like I said, must be in complete control. I mean, imagine if you would, this lump of clay somehow resisting the potter and saying, no, I don't want to be formed. I won't submit. Now imagine us with God saying, no, Lord, I don't want to be formed. I won't submit. Can God work with us if we're resisting? You know, in doing pottery, I understand that water is very important. You know, when I've seen people do pottery, it seems like they're constantly adding water to the piece of work that they're working on. So water is very vital to this lump of clay. What happens to clay if you leave it out with no water? It dries up. It becomes brittle, right? Easily broken. Now imagine... And use that, imagine Christians with the word of God. What happens to us as Christians if we don't constantly add the word of God in our lives? We become dry, brittle, easily broken, much like that lump of clay. That's why it's so important every day to keep adding God's word into our lives. Now let me ask you a question. Do you want God to recreate you? Or do you want just a restoration job done? What's the difference? You know, I think of the flood. Noah built the ark, the animals. You folks know the story. And God wiped out this whole earth with a flood. And he recreated it. And guess what? He's going to wipe out this earth again, and he's going to recreate it. Won't be with water. Next time will be with fire. But he, he's going to recreate it. The Bible says 
John wrote that he saw, in Revelation, John wrote that he saw a new heaven and a new earth. And Revelation 5.21 says, Behold, I make all things new. Now, when I first wrote this sermon, it was a couple years ago, right before I went to Nets, and I used to drive a little red Mustang. I don't know if anybody remembers my little red Mustang. But as I was writing this sermon, one day I was looking at my Mustang, my little red Mustang, and I noticed the paint job was fading on it. It was 14 years old, you know, but it was becoming dull. It wasn't vibrant anymore. The paint was actually chipping off some of the parts of it, and rust was coming through a few other parts. And I'm looking at my little red Mustang fading away, and I'm going, it's kind of looking like a little pink Mustang now. This is no good. I'm going to have to turn in my man card over this. So I thought, well, maybe I should take my car to a body shop and have them recreate the paint job on my little red Mustang. Imagine if I had brought it to the body shop. They would take it. They would sand it down to the bare metal, right? They would fix any rust spots. They would pull out any dents. Then they put a new coat of primer on it, let that seal, and, and put a new coat of paint on it again. Buff it out, and voila. I'd have a little red Mustang again. And I could reclaim my man card. That's recreating the paint job on my car. Much better than just saying, well, we're going to give you a deal. We're just going to slap some paint over the old paint. We're just going to slap some paint over the rust spots and call it good. So I ask you again, do you want God to recreate you? Or do you just want a restoration job? My God is in the business of recreating If you have your Bibles open, you'd like to open them up and follow along with me, I'm going to read in the book of Matthew, first book in the New Testament. The book of Matthew, chapter 9, and I'm going to go to verses 16 and 17. <clears throat> Matthew, chapter 9, verses 16 and 17. And my Bible says, No man putteth a piece of new cloth unto an old garment. For that which is put in to fill it up taketh from the garment, and the rent is made worse. Neither do men put new wine into old bottles, else the bottles break, and the new wine runneth out, and the bottles perish. But they put new wine into new bottles, and both are preserved. If we want to be recreated by God, we need to totally submit to God. We need to empty ourselves of us. My biggest enemy is me. Right? So like I said, just like the paint job on my old Mustang, I want that to be recreated. I don't want to just paint over the rust spots. What happens if they just paint over the rust spots? Well, just like a cancer, the rust is going to eat right through again. Right? August 17, 1981, 
is a day I made, I did something that day that had a very, very important effect on my life. I did two new things that day. One, I enlisted in the United States Air Force. I was 19 years old, just gotten out of high school. College was not an option for me. I'm not a good student. And I went in the military. And I flew from Portland, Maine to San Antonio, Texas. That was the other first thing I had done. I had never flown on a commercial jet before. So it was a big day for me, August 17, 1981. And I was brought to Lackland Air Force Base, San Antonio, Texas, in the middle of August. It was hot. But I went there because I had just joined the military. Now, if there's anybody here who's ever served in the military, or if you're watching online, you've served in the military, let me first say thank you for your service. Now, the mission of basic training is to break you down and recreate you. And every branch of the service might do things slightly different from one another. But the goal is the same. They need to break down the individuality of you as a person to build you back up to make you part of a cohesive group. They will teach you to walk. They will teach you to talk. They will teach you to think like an airman, soldier, marine, or sailor. And it doesn't matter who you are it doesn't matter the color of your skin, or if you're rich, or if you're poor, and it doesn't matter the color of your hair. And for us guys, we had to part company with our hair. But the good news is, no matter what the drill instructors used to tell us, it does grow back. It doesn't grow back gray right away, but it does grow back. But you basically become clay in the potter's hand. But this time, the potter is the drill instructor. I mean, they can't work with somebody who is resisting their training. Oh, they have methods of dealing with people who are resisting their training. But you have to totally submit to the program that you signed up for. And they will rebuild you. They will recreate you into a member of a cohesive group. But first, they have to break you down. Sometimes God has to break us down in order to build us back up. And God, praise the Lord, knows each one of us individually. He knows what our needs are. He reads your heart. Far too often, we judge people based on what we see. 1 Samuel 16, 7 says, But the Lord said unto Samuel, Look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth, for man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. God also sees you as the finished product. You know, I look in the mirror, I see the scars and the dents and the flaws and, 
and all the yucky stuff, right? God sees me as the finished product. He sees me in his image. Just like the potter looks at this lump of clay, he doesn't just see a lump of clay. In the potter's eyes, he sees a beautiful vase or an elegant bowl. The man at the body shop with my Mustang, he looks at my faded pink Mustang with rust spots, and he sees that shiny red Mustang recreated. God sees you as though you've already been touched by the master's hand. Speaking of recreating, Jeremiah 18 has a great example of that. If you'd like to open your Bibles, Jeremiah is found after Psalms and Proverbs. Go past Isaiah and then you'll go into, uh, you should find Jeremiah pretty quick. Jeremiah chapter 18, I'm going to start reading in verse 2. I love the sound of pages turning. That's awesome. I got to get a sound effect on my iPad for that. Jeremiah 18, starting in verse 2, the Bible says, Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will cause thee to hear my words. Then I went down to the potter's house, and behold, he wrought a work on the wheels, and the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter. So he made it again, another vessel, as seemed good to the potter to make it. Then the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, O house of Israel, cannot I do with you as this potter? Saith the Lord, behold, as the potter is in, as the clay is in the potter's hand, so are ye in my hands, O house of Israel. God is in the business of recreation. But we've got to submit ourselves to him. We've got to totally surrender to God. And it doesn't matter who you've been up to this point in your life. By one touch of the master's hand, a drunk will put down his drink. By one touch of the master's hand, a drug addict will become clean. By one touch of the master's hand, an abusive husband and father will stop abusing his family and start loving them all by the touch of the master's hand. By one touch of the master's hand, a thief will stop stealing. An angry person will find peace. A liar will tell the truth and a cheat will stop cheating. And by one touch of the master's hand, a murderer will repent of his evil ways. The question is, who is your master? You know, Joshua told the children of Israel to choose. Choose who your master is. He said, if God is, is God, then choose him. But if you have other gods, then choose them. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. So who's your master? Who do you choose? And are you sure about that? 
Or as Regis used to say, is that your final answer? Romans 6.16 says, Know ye not that whom you yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants you are to whom you obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. You know, I've been using the analogy of a lump of clay with a potter today. But there's a huge difference. You're alive. The lump of clay is an inanimate object. But you're alive. And as long as you're alive, you have a choice. God gave you a free will to choose. You know the difference between right and wrong. You can make your own decisions. And nobody can make those decisions for you. You know, no matter how much we love people in our lives, we can't make that decision for them. I love my son and my daughter-in-law. But they have to decide for themselves if they want to follow Christ. My grandson will be nine years old on Monday. I don't know where the time's going. But as he grows up, I can't make that decision for him. He has to decide if he wants to follow Jesus or not. I love my wife. But the decision is hers if she wants to choose God. Each one of us is given that choice. So are you living for God or are you living for yourself? Have you received Christ but not surrendered to him? And don't fool yourself into thinking, well, I'm a good person. I'm a respected person in my church and in my community. Because if you choose anything over God, you'll become a servant to that choice. Whatever you choose becomes your master. Maybe you choose money or a career. Maybe you're choosing a house or a car or other material things. But whatever you choose becomes a God to you. As I said earlier in Matthew 6, God said you can't serve God and mammon. Mammon is defined as material wealth or possessions, especially as having a debasing influence. So choose carefully whom you're going to serve. You might fool yourself into thinking, I'm serving God, but still serving mammon. You can't serve both. As I said, God sees your heart, and he knows where your heart is. Maybe you can fool your friends. Maybe you can fool your church family. Maybe you can even fool your family at home, although I think that's a lot harder to do. Maybe you're fooling yourself. If your heart's not surrendered to God, then it's just like the body shop just spraying paint over the rust spots on my old Mustang. And are we serving the master? Or are we expecting to be served? by him are you asking how can I serve or are you asking what's in it for me I am definitely not preaching a prosperity message you won't get that from me I'm saying by surrendering everything you could lose everything here on earth you could lose your house you could lose your savings you could lose your friends you could lose family members 
you could possibly lose every worldly possession here on earth. But I promise you, in the kingdom, you're going to get so much more. As long as I have Jesus, I have everything. Now, when we look at one another, how valuable do we see each other? How valuable does Jesus see us? You know, when I was a kid, growing up, my grandparents used to have a house in Middleton, New Hampshire, down by Lake uh, Sunrise Lake. And as a kid, we used to go to Nana's house all the time. Let me tell you, that was the place to be. You know, people, especially children, are drawn to where they're loved, right? In Nana's house, you were loved. Let me tell you, if you were one, especially if you were one of the grandchildren. And me and my brother, and I had two cousins, and we used to spend just about every summer there, every school vacation there. We'd, we'd go there on so many weekends because that was the place to be because we were loved there. And I remember this one time, and between the four of us, we were probably between the ages of, say, five and seven. We were fairly young. And we were at Nana's house for the summer. And we were outside playing. This may be hard to believe. Four boys between the ages of five and seven, and we started arguing. And it was one of those arguments, you know, where you're puffing out your chest and you go, well, my dad can beat up your dad. You know what I'm talking about? Well, we were arguing because each one of us was saying, Nana loved us more, Nana loves me more than she loves you. And that was the argument with the four of us. We were all arguing over who Nana loved the most. Well, Nana came out, <coughs> excuse me, and she saw us fighting. And that she, hate, she did not like us arguing. So she asked us what we were arguing about, and we wouldn't tell her. We all clammed up. So she took the four boys, the four of us, and she sat us on the front step of our house. And she asked again. <coughs> Sorry. And we told her. Well, he said you love him more than you love us. And each one of us were saying that. And Nana explained to us that her heart was big enough to love each one of us the same. Sorry. That's how big God's heart is. <coughs> Sorry. <coughs> God's heart is big enough to love each one of us the same. So what is the value of a soul? All the wealth and power one might gain isn't worth the price of one soul. Matthew 16, 26 says, For what is a man profit if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? You're worth everything Jesus paid for you. And he paid it all. So when we look at someone, don't see them as just an exterior and put them in a category. 
Don't say, well, that person's not worth anything. He's just a drunk. Well, that person's just a drug addict. That person's just a gossip. We don't know any of those, right? How terrible is that person? I'm so glad I'm not like that. That's what the Pharisee said, standing next to the publican. He said, I thank God I'm not like other men. They're extortioners, unjust, adulterers, even as a publican. I fast twice a week. I give tithe of all I possess. And the Bible tells us the publican couldn't even lift his eyes up. He just beat his chest. And he said, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus said, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For every man that exalted himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. Who is more respected in the community or in the temple? The Pharisee was, right? But who did Jesus say was justified? The Pharisee was so full of pride and so full of himself, but the publican knew exactly who he was. And the publican submitted himself to God. How about the thief on the cross? You know, there were two thieves on the cross. In the beginning, they were both mocking Christ. Right? But then the Holy Spirit got a hold of one of them. And here he is, naked, on a cross, next to our Lord. He has nothing to offer. But he submitted himself to Christ at that point. And you know what? I look forward to meeting him in the, in the kingdom. In closing today, my appeal is to totally surrender to God. Give everything to him. Be open to receiving the touch of the master's hand and do it daily. The Apostle Paul said, I die daily. And it doesn't matter who you are. Surrender today. Maybe you're a young person. Surrender today. Maybe you're middle-aged. Surrender today. Maybe you're a seasoned citizen. You've been around the block a few times. Today is the day to surrender. Philippians 1.6 says, Being confident of this very thing, that he which had begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. That's a promise from God. Just like the potter took the marred clay and remade it, God wants to remake you today. And many a man with life out of tune, all battered and bruised with hardship, is auctioned cheap to a thoughtless crowd, much like that old violin. A mess of pottage, a glass of wine, a game, and he travels on. He's going once, he's going twice, he's going, and almost gone. But the master comes, and the foolish crowd never can quite understand the worth of a soul and the change that is wrought by the touch of the master's hand. God wants to do something beautiful in your life. He just wants you to surrender to him. Happy Sabbath. Our closing hymn is going to be a little bit different today. 
I have a video I'm going to show that goes with this. I just need a little help moving the podium and, and everything. And I don't want to destroy anything. Is anything plugged in that I'll pull a, I don't know, I can't reach that. <laughs> And if we could get the screen down. And can we dim the lights a little bit, please? And Brian, if you're ready, we're ready for our closing hymn, which will be, it's a YouTube video called The Touch of the Master's Hand. We hit perfect. This will be our closing hymn. Do we have audio? I know.
stopped in the auctioneer with a voice that was quiet and low. He said, Now what am I bid for this old violin? And he held it up with a bow. And then he cried out. People cried out, what made the change? We don't understand. Then the auctioneer stopped, and he said with a smile, It was the touch of the master's Dear Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you again for this day, Lord. Father, we thank you that you're constantly working on us, that you don't give up on us. Father, we pray each one of us to submit 
to the master's hand. We want to be the clay and let you be our potter, Lord. Form us and make us into what you see fit, Lord. Please be with each person here today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for your help there, sir.